chapter 3. All right, First Peter chapter 3, <clears throat> I have to make a contribution in light of um, Valentine's Day. So this is my Valentine's Day message. Um, I want to begin by reading something. It's a little old. Some of you won't recognize the names. But she said, I did everything he did. Ginger Rogers said about Fred Astaire, I did it backwards and in high heels. Although Fred and Ginger were equally skilled and talented dancers, if they had both tried to lead or follow, they would have been pulling each other in opposite directions. Quite simply, they would not be in sync, but rather would be tripping over each other and eventually pulling apart. Instead, Ginger let Fred lead her, trusting that he was making her look good and keeping her from harm. Instead of Fred diminishing her, Ginger allowed him to be the foil for her talent. Now, marriage has defined roles. And when we get outside of those roles or are not performing the roles it creates a lot of attention and we begin to pull in opposite directions. You're going to find that a lot of the tension you're experiencing in your marriage is you're out of role or you're not in role. Now, something that we need to understand about our marriages this morning is that marriages are a living organism. And one of the things that is the bond of marriage is love. And love is spoken of as something that's alive, but can be killed. And far too often we approach our marriages in a very haphazard manner. Now the Bible gives us a very clear counsel and direction concerning marriage. But more than that, concerning how we, the two genders, are to conduct ourselves in the context of marriage. Now, there are things in our marriages, there are some strongholds. There are some unhealthy interaction that are the result of the lack of focusing on the spiritual. We can become these reactionaries where we're not functioning in a spiritual capacity and we just react according to what comes our way. This is the recipe for a very tension-filled marriage. So I want to preach on the spiritual content of marriage. And I want to make a contribution. This is my Valentine's Day message. So let's read together. 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 1. Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging of the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. 
For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife, as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. I want to preach on the spiritual content of marriage. And I want to first talk about being united in matrimony. Every married couple remembers the day you were united in matrimony. You'll never forget that. I remember when we uh, were so graciously afforded the opportunity as a gift when my wife and I renewed our 25th vow and uh, we were sent to Hawaii. And we were at a, uh, a luau and they called up all the couples that were on a uh, honeymoon or any sort of an anniversary of sorts. I, of course, didn't want to go. And the, all the people that I didn't know at my table, you need to go. You, know, you don't know me. I don't want to go up there. But anyway, we went up. And he embarrassed us. But he was asking, you know, step forward. if you. And the one he says, anybody that's 50 years and older and uh, been married and and this couple steps forward and he asks him, what, is the, what do you contribute to the longevity of your marriage? He says, having two vehicles. I said, yeah, that was good. Yes. But every couple remembers the day you were united in matrimony. Now, for a woman, this is the dream of a lifetime. She spends months and months and months and months Planning this out and the hours uh, that are invested, uh, getting ready for her big day. And most men, the truth be told, could bypass a lot of the planning and just get down to the wedding day. But if you want to start off on the right foot, give her the room to make her dream come true. The wedding day comes. She has sweaty palms. You know, I get an advantage. I don't sit in any of the marriages in here. I always go in Renee's office because she has a big screen and I get the vantage point from here to here. So poor Melissa, I don't know if she has hands left. She was wringing her hands uncontrollably. I don't know if she knew that. I saw that and I was like, poor girl. But they have sweaty palms. Her nerves are off the charts. She wants everything to be perfect. She's going to have her friends, her family. This is going to be my day. Now, the truth be told, right, he could bypass most of that and just get on to the honeymoon. But if you want to start off on the right foot, make her dream come true. So you stand before the preacher. All eyes are on you and the ceremony begins. All the single girls are. You recite your pledge to one another and then the kiss, which is always so revealing. You're you're now united in matrimony. Yes, you're married. Yes, you're now married forever with that person you just kissed. And soon the dream becomes reality. And reality doesn't match up with the dream. So in our text, he gives us a mini manual 
for marriage. And we need this manual desperately. Now, this text brings guidance in some very critical areas of our marriages. And I warn you this morning, because some of you are going to have to make some radical changes based on what's in this text. Now, this text is written to those and it's it's written to both. And we'll get to both this morning. It seems to have an emphasis for women. And, and it's written to those whose reality has settled in. And reality is a bit difficult. You're now married. You're past the honeymoon stage. And that's, that varies from couple to couple. That could last a while. It could last a day. You could break Angel Ortiz's record and last a week maybe. I don't know. But, but that, that is there. But then the honeymoon stage is gone. This person you're married to who did everything they could to conceal some things about themselves when they were dating are now very evident. These flaws, these personality issues, right? That you never knew existed or you just overlooked and she and he did their very best to assure that those would not come to the table until after we're married. The way you treat and talk to each other is now bearing fruit for the good or for the bad. A man's leadership or lack of is now becoming apparent in the home. The wife's respect or lack of is now playing out in the home. and All of these contribute to the condition of where we're at in our marriage. One of these scenarios that is presented in this text is a woman that is saved and her husband is not saved or he is scarcely saved, but he is noted as one who does not obey the word of God. And so here she is. This is a bit of a a task to have to navigate through as a woman. But this is presented and, and this is the scenario that can unfold after a wedding day. We don't know the direction things are going to go, go. You know, your man can become carnal and exhibit a lack of obedience. Or maybe you were married outside of Christ and you're saved and your man is not. And you're praying for his salvation. But there's all sorts of scenarios that begin to unfold the reality that we have to face. All sorts of things that come along with marriage that are linked to the person you married. The Bible addresses some of these things that we're going to run into in the process of marriage. And there are three great texts in the Bible. There's a lot of marriage texts, but three great ones. You can write them down. I'm not going to go into all of them. There's the one I'm preaching out of, 1 Peter 3. There's Ephesians chapter 5. There's 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So let's, let's dive into the meat of the sermon this morning. And I want to... Talk about the breakdown of a marriage. What you do when you see your spouse's imperfections begins to set the direction of a marriage. I want to have a talk with the wives for a little bit here. And and I want you just to kind of hone in and give me some liberty. I'm going to try to help you here. Now, the majority of this text addresses the wives, and that doesn't mean that More of the onus is on the wife than the husband. But Peter is addressing wives in whose reality does not fit the dream 
And he's giving them some critical direction on how to deal with this. And one of the things that a woman will tend to do, this is just a tendency, in order to fix her husband, is she begins to become a controlling woman. I'm going to paint a picture for you that is going to cause you a lot of heartache if you don't stop trying to be a controlling woman. But this is one of the tendencies. So the counsel of Peter in our text is that you function with a gentle and a quiet spirit. Now, this doesn't mean don't ever say anything, don't ever give an opinion. That's not what this is saying, but give me time to unfold this for you. But one of the things that it is saying is that you're not a confrontational, overbearing woman. That is one of the things it's saying. Now, there's a fine line when you're dealing with how a woman treats and speaks to her husband. There's a fine line. And I'm going to try to help you with this to understand something about us. And I know us gives some problems with us. I get that. But just kind of go with it. Once a woman is dissatisfied with her husband, she sets out to fix him. Wrong decision. But that's what they do. I'm going to fix this man and make him what I want him to be. Yet all along, what you don't understand is by taking that approach, you're driving him further and further away from you. The thing that you desire the most in intimacy and affection from your husband, and those are desires you need to keep, becomes more and more in jeopardy as you seek to control him and hedge him in where you want him to be. There's a woman named Laura Doyle. Now, I have not read the whole book. I'm going to give the title out. Some of you may go get it, so I can't vouch for everything in it, but what I've read so far is good. But she wrote a book called The Surrendered Wife. Everything I'm reading of it, she's not a saved woman, but it's amazing the conclusion she came to in her marriage. She says this, as I stopped bossing him around, giving him advice, burying him, burying him in a list of chores to do, criticizing his ideas and taking over every situation as if he couldn't handle it, something magical happened. The union I dreamed of appeared. Now she goes on to say that when I would slip back into my old ways as she was trying to conquer this in her life. I stopped to ask myself, which do I want more to have control of every situation or to have an intimate marriage? And she would always conclude, I want an intimate marriage. And so she would back off. Now, over time, if you're not careful, you will turn into a contentious woman. The Bible says in Proverbs 21, 9, it is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop on your roof than a house shared with a contentious woman. How come he never wants to come home anymore and he never wants to be around and he's always out in the backyard working? Well, there may be other reasons, but perhaps 
this could be at work. And what you have to be careful of is emasculating your husband. That simply, uh, I put my glasses on to read my writing, to take away his male role. In Deuteronomy 25, kind of a graphic scripture, but I'm just going to read it the way the New King James says it. If two men fight together and the wife of one draws near to rescue her husband, which, by the way, if your husband's in a fight with another male, don't don't do that to him. Even if he's getting the crud beat out of him. Let him get the crud beat up. Don't step in. But anyway, if if she draws near to rescue her husband from the hand of the one attacking him and puts out her hand and seizes him by the genitals, you shall cut her hand off and your eye will not pity her. Now, what's that all about? Well, it's the idea of a woman touching a man's manhood and demeaning him. Not literally, but we can look at Zipporah and get an idea of what I'm talking about. Because here's a scenario. She and Moses are walking down one day and the child is there. The child is not circumcised. She begins to step over boundaries uh, and she begins to get on Moses' case and she begins to enter into his territory as a man uh, and she begins to confront him and she takes this rock and chops it all off and throws it at his feet. You're a bloody man. Wrong answer. You do that, you're asking for serious trouble. But this is what we're talking about, an approach that you have to be very careful of as a woman. Peter uses particular words in guiding the wife. In verse 2, having chaste conduct. This is a promotion of modesty. And while we understand that modesty has to do with how you dress, and this is something that you need to be thoughtful of, that's not the modesty he's talking about here. The modesty is dealing with attitude. With a woman's attitude, we've said it many times over the years that when a man or a couple gets sent out into the harvest field, that a woman's attitude is paramount to their success. When we came on staff, one of the big things that Pastor Stevens was highly concerned about was my wife's attitude. Not that she had one, but he was concerned that she had the temperament to flow with what it took. A wife's attitude. Modesty in attitude, not being a confrontational woman with your husband. And and therefore it brings us to the statement that Peter makes in verses 5 and 6. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord whose daughters you are. This whole idea has to do with respect. It's not this demeaning thing that the women feminist movement of today wants you to believe. It's oppressive and, oh, go get lost. Go stick your head in a Scarlet Lake or something. I mean, come on, give me a break. It has to do with respect. Men need the respect of their wives. I'm just letting it reverberate in here to see how it goes. The way you speak to him. The way you give him advice. 
the way you argue, the way you deal with his weaknesses. And I'm not saying you can't do any of those. Uh, It's a two-way street. We're in this together. Uh, Your wife needs to have a voice in the marriage. It's the way you go about it. This is a fine line, whether you understand it or not. It's a very fine line when it comes to respect. And, And are you ready for this, ladies? Men desperately crave respect from their wives. Amen. You know, something as simple as telling him how to load the dishwasher can be insulting to him. I know you say, oh, you just egomaniac. Okay, but that's just the way it is. It's true. I realize not every man is that fragile, but it can be that fragile. (laughs) I don't know all the vibes I'm feeling right now. It's kind of fun. (laughs) God's going to help you. Trust me, I'm preaching this to help you. And guess what, ladies? The dignity you're looking for is found in respecting your husband. I know it doesn't make sense once you're in the middle of the fight and things are going sour and you're upset. And, and, but, but it is true that the dignity that you're looking for is found in respecting your husband and safeguarding his ego. You're like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Verses three and four. Don't let your adornment be merely outward. Arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel has nothing to do with the dumb uh, doctrine out there about women can't wear all these. That's not what he's saying. He says, don't let it be merely outward. In other words, go ahead and make yourself up. Rather, though, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of what? A gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. That's a whole different demeanor than the contentious in your face, uh, pointing your finger at him, telling him stuff, calling him names. You're lazy. You're this. You're that. Okay, honey, you're, you're developing a marriage that's contrary to what you dreamed of. And a woman can tend to think that if she gives up her manipulative control over her marriage, it's going to fall apart. There really is an insecurity in her, and I'll get to that in a minute, that drives this. But it's this crazy thing that somehow, if you're not driving it and driving it, this thing's going to fall apart. No, it's falling apart because you're driving it. That if she stops controlling her marriage through her emotions, somehow it's going to fall apart. No, it's actually going to become more of what you want it to be. One person's quote, There's a lady, a married woman said, sometimes we get so used to correcting our husbands, we don't even hear the harshness in our own comments or notice how much we sound like a nag rather than the affectionate lover we set out to be. You know, be careful that you don't treat your husband like a little boy rather than a capable man. And I I get it. There's some men that need to man up. What kind of man do you want? Then treat him like that, no matter what he is now. Some treat you treat your husband like a incapable boy. 
And let me say this. You're his wife, not his mother. That's an important statement. We left mother and father. And working wives will struggle with this due to the work you put in to support the house. And you're going to have to work a little extra hard in staying submitted and undercover as a working wife. There's just a tendency there. I'm not saying don't be a working wife. I'm not against working wives. I'm just saying that you're going to feel more liberty to come out from under that cover and and throw it at his feet and say it as you will. Because after all, I'm adding to this, and in some cases the wife's making more than the husband, and you remind him of that all the time. Go ahead, but you're not going to create the marriage you dreamed of if you do that. Now, I'll say this, and I, I'm almost hesitant because I didn't read the whole book, and there could be some, but I'm going to trust that you'll spit out the bones if you're choking on them. But this book, Surrendered Wife, she was all of the above. She pushed her husband to such a degree that he even lost any sexual attraction to her. He wasn't out committing adultery into that. He simply just watched TV and played with the pets, and, and she was getting nowhere with it. And she came to the realization, finally, it's me, it's my attitude, it's my insecurities. Uh, and, and she begins to make these major shifts in her life uh, to where she won back her husband and made the dream marriage that she always had. And there are reasons why women struggle in these areas. One of the biggest problems has to do with your own insecurity and the feeling of being being vulnerable. There are reasons for this. This can come from several experiences in life. It can come from the fact of a lack of a father in your life or an abusive situation in your upbringing. That you were raised in that. You didn't have what you needed. In, and in every girl, it will create this incredible insecurity. Young girls, this is why dads, you need to really embrace this. That daughters really need the identity of their father. When it's not there, it, it just develops these enormous gaping insecurities uh, in their lives. That they, they, they go about it the wrong way. And they're not even fully realizing that they're driven because of this. This can also come from previous failed relationships in your life. You've been in relationships before. They went sour. Uh, it was all sorts of different things involved, but this tainted something in you, and and you're you're overbearing. This is where your jealousy problems come into the picture. This is where your clinginess, your over clingy, you're just grasping at every turn and corner, and and a man cannot handle it. I know it's vice versa. Men can be the same way, but I'm talking to the ladies right now. It also is part of what was released. In the garden when Eve ate the fruit. And in Genesis 3.16. Your desire shall be for your husband. He shall rule over you. In other words, you're going to be dependent on him. He's going to have a position of authority over you. And one of the consequences of the fall. Due to the fact that Eve took the lead in the transgression. That's what Paul points out, I believe it's through Timothy, it was Eve that she took the lead. Whatever the reasons, whether Adam was right by her side, she went where she wasn't supposed to go. 
And any time you're going to start taking the lead in your marriage, it's going to turn something backwards. And in this case, it opened the door for now a curse. And part of the judgment that a woman has to deal with is now part of your marital role by command will be submission to your husband. Now it's a biblical command. Now it's not supposed to be lived out in oppression or you know, drudgery or any of that. It really is up to your attitude. And I realize it's up to your husband, but, but this is part of what we're dealing with and why women struggle in the area I'm talking about so much. And in our text in verse 1, and I believe in Ephesians 5, it's highlighted, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands. And, and he brings this scenario of those that have unbelieving husbands And they say that he doesn't believe the word, but you without a word will win them. In other words, you're not going to win your unsaved or extremely carnal husband through badgering him and trying to fix him. You're going to make it worse. I know everything in you feels that that's the way to do it. Nobody else is telling him anything. Doesn't listen to the preaching. Well, you know what, honey? If you'll just calm down and do what God calls you to do, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised what God will do. This doesn't come naturally for a woman. And this is what God was telling Eve. Now you're going to be subject to this. It's going to be a struggle for you. You're going to want to kick against and rebel this. But you must fight to keep yourself in a position of submission. Because this is the age of the unbridled woman. Right? The age of feminism and all the devils hijacked the whole thing. Well, you'll never be happy if you follow that road. So let me then close with developing a spiritual climate in your marriage. And here's where we bring the men into the sermon. So I hope you men didn't elbow your wife during any of that. Because now she's going to knock you off the edge of your seat. So here's where we bring men into the sermon. Developing a spiritual climate in your marriage. This is where men are held accountable when it comes to the spiritual climate of your home. Now, while only one verse is committed to men here and six to women, and I maybe this has to do with Peter knowing that women need more conversation and detail in the matter, I don't know. But this one verse lays a heavy responsibility at the feet of the men. Verse 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. You know what he's saying there in a lot? I'm going to get into it more, but part of it is saying that if your home's all divided and torn apart, a lot of it's on you. Men hate to hear that. It's always the man's fault. Well, sorry, dude. I don't know what to say. Everyone wants to be a man and respect. You know, if you have to command your wife to respect you, there's a problem there. Respect is something that you earn through how you act. 
But God says a few things here. First, you need to learn how to understand your wife. Now, I realize that is a tall order. But it's not good enough to tell her to get over it. Or to bark out a few commands and expect her just to be fine. Oh, are you crying again? Are you whining again? Well, that'll get you far. That'll really get her to love you with affection. And But you need to learn how to understand her. And then he says you need to be honoring your wife. This begins with mutual respect. And this word honor deals with giving her dignity and esteeming her with high regard in a high-valued place in your life and a high value upon your wife. Do you hear that? Some of the way you guys talk to your wife, I just feel like getting a few guys and taking you out back. Yes, I said it, and it's on the video. You can prove it if you want to. And then it says, as the weaker vessel. Because she's more vulnerable due to her emotions. Now, let me say, stop trying to be the he woman and say you're not emotional. Okay? It's just the way God created. I'm reading a fascinating book called Why Gender Matters, and it's not the transgender movement. It's all about how guys and girls are different. And it's all about their brain. And the way they develop, it is a fascinating read. And it's just the way God did it. And so think about this, because as the weaker vessel, that means you must protect her from her weakness, which is unraveled emotions and insecurities. The thing that drives you wacko. The thing that you have the very hardest time dealing with in your marriage, her emotions and insecurities. He says, take extra care to help her there. Not blow her out of the water and tell her how she's overreacting. and No, minister to her. So that, he says, your prayers may not be hindered. That means that the man dictates the spiritual arena of his marriage and his home. The man does. That's our responsibility. That's what God placed at our feet. And so what is being placed upon the husband, and this is really the point, requires a spiritual dimension in order to fulfill. We'll fail all day long if we're not going to be spiritual. We're just going to do this out of our know-how and our little bit of Bible knowledge and our few counseling sessions. You're going to fail. You're going to fall on your face. This requires a spiritual dimension to our lives. The way you treat your wife, the way you speak to your wife, the way you help her resolve her fears and insecurities, the way you lead her in prayer and give her the confidence that you are a spiritual man. See, Adam failed here. He did. He was responsible for his wife, and God held him accountable. Abraham failed here. 
His wife and her emotions were off the charts. And you know what? It wasn't Sarah's fault. We're not blaming Sarah in this one. She came. She's bearing. This is a torment to her soul. Abraham's got this promise. She wants to help him fulfill it. She's a little out of whack that day. Her emotions are off the charts. Ah, just go into Hagar. You don't really mean that, Sarah. Just go into Hagar. You don't really mean that, Sarah. It was up to her husband to say, no, we're not going there. But he failed, didn't he? Genesis 16, 1 through 3. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne to him no uh, had borne him no rest- restraint me from being anyway. I, I got it wrong. Abraham's wife had borne him no children, uh, and I didn't get it all in my notes. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. And I'm just going to cut to the chase here. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded. The voice is Sarai. He gave in. He didn't stand his ground. He didn't hear from God on this. And unfortunately, the results of this are still playing out today. Now, obviously, Abraham's an amazing man. He's the father of our faith. But this was a failure. He gave in and he he did not lead through the spiritual qualities that God gave him in that moment. uh, And he failed. You know, God's role by command to the husband has to do with loving your wife. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wife. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's how. Ephesians 5.28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their bodies. Oh, that's pretty telling. Colossians 3.19, husbands love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. What does that mean? That men obviously get bitter with their wives. And what is love? 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. How often do we fail there? Yet here's our command by virtue of the fall of man in the garden. The husbands will love their wives. And if there's one thing that we fail in, more often than not, it's right there. Biggest complaint that women have often in counseling is he just doesn't talk to me. He just doesn't pay attention to me. I know some of that is extreme and some of it is born out of a woman's insecurity, but a lot of it's true. He only pays attention to me when it's that time in the evening. Right? These are the complaints. Now, the ultimate requirement to fulfill all of this is that you're a a spiritual man with spiritual appetites. Leading your wife and children in the will of God. You're not going to be that. It's not going to get fixed. That means a man that prays every day. A man that reads the word of God every day. A man that obeys God. A man that shuts the world out of his home. A man that loves God supremely more than his wife and more than himself. 
Do you remember the 1980s commercial for Angele perfume? Well, I bring home the bacon. I fry it up in a pan. Never let you forget you're a man. Because I'm a woman. Remember that? I just brought some of you back. <laughs> Makes for a good commercial, but it's not reality. Oh, no. If she has to be the breadwinner and the cook and the mom and the romancer and keep you happy, she's going to lose her mind. Amen. I'll just pat myself on the back for that one. It's your job as a man to be in tune with your wife, be praying for her, be ministering to her, meeting her emotional needs, and guess what? You're going to fail again and again if you're not a spiritual man. And then you're going to blame her. She's just a nag. Easy out, man. Come on. You can't get better than that. That's an age-old cop-out. She's just a nag. Hard enough when you're spiritual to make this thing work. Marriage has a spiritual context that both of you need to be establishing in your lives, in your marriage roles, in your home, or it's not going to work. That's just the way it is. And that's really the context of what Peter's getting at here. And he's really laying a spiritual consideration to the woman about the inward woman, the spirit of her life, the attitude of her life, and the man that ultimately that your prayers be not hindered. You are the one that is responsible to set the spiritual climate of your home, your marriage, your life. And so therefore, marriage has a spiritual content that if it's not there I'm not God is big he's gracious he'll help you but all the counseling in the world may not help if it's not there matter of fact you're going to wear a pastor out because you come and it'll be the same things over and over and I, I took a stand a long time ago I don't do a ton of marriage counseling here but I took a stand a long time ago if a couple comes to me two or three times the same issues don't come back until you start doing some of it. Just go work it out because you're not doing anything and you're just wearing me out. So go do some of what you're being told. Well, the problem is it's an indictment. You're not doing it because you're not acting spiritual. You've got to be spiritual to fulfill these things. And it's hard enough even when you are. <laughs> it's hard enough because what we are is so different than what God commands us to be. But you know what? If we will contend for this, if we really will contend to be in our place, in our role, fulfilling what God commanded us, and begin to temper down those things that are causing the friction of our home, I'm telling you, you're going to begin to see a powerful thing. You know, I got married in the church. My wife and I dated in the church. We never had a worldly thing going. And you know what? We still had a lot of fireworks, especially in the early days of our marriage. You think, it's all going to be great. We got married in the church. (laughs) No, it's not. It's going to be hard. It's going to be good, but it's going to be hard. But you know what? 
It's over the years. And I had to change and still have to change a lot. I'm telling you, I didn't come from a broken home, but I came from a white home. And I don't know if you know what that means. But this whole affection thing wasn't happening, man. And God had to help me and still is trying to help me today to change. Um, And, you know, these little Mexican girls, they can be little chihuahuas, man. God's got to get a hold of that. But you know what? As we begin to grow together, the grace is heirs together. As heirs together. I'm telling you, it's a beautiful thing that God creates. And I love being married. I couldn't imagine a day without it. I tell you all the time, I, I love, I look forward to going home every day. And so let's enter into the spiritual content of marriage. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. When I got inspired about this, it really, really was with the heart to help. It's not just to call you out or bring a confrontational element in the pulpit. That's not my purpose here. It really is, you know, unfortunately we have to see some of the hard things about us to to be able to go there. And we're all a work in progress. We really are. But, you know, I I realize some of this really applied extreme to some, and it it hurts and it's hard. But God will help you if you'll just make a decision today. And maybe you're here before I go any further. And you're here and you're not right with God. Whether you're married, single, that doesn't matter. You're just not right with God. And, you know, it's a cruel world we live in. You You try to live up to the world's expectations, and you're always not meeting up to the measurement. It's hard to live to this world's expectations, be what you're supposed to be. And I tell you what, in Christ, your identity is all about Jesus Christ. And you know, I realize that we have some real serious and deep issues that are true to this generation. So many violations relationally, so many broken homes and a lot of different things. But you know what? I'm presenting to you a God that heals, a God that mends the breach, a miracle that you can enter into today. What I'm about to invite you to is not to join this church or join a religion. But when you give your life over to Jesus Christ and you do that simply by acknowledging, you know what, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner before a holy God and I want to go on record and repent and ask Jesus to forgive me. You're born a sinner, so it's not the things you do that make you a sinner. You're a sinner by nature and therefore that's why you do the things you do. And there's nothing that you or I can do outside of Jesus Christ that can change that. People try and it always becomes one thing or another. We're sinners, fallen. And Jesus Christ died... He gave his life to make a bridge so that you and I can cross back over to God. But you have to do it God's way. It's not joining a religion or going into some confessional booth. It's talking to God and saying, Lord, I am sorry. I'm a sinner, but I want you to forgive me and change me. And you know, don't underestimate. I I prayed that prayer 30 years ago. 
I'm amazed the power of that confession when you really mean it. The radical change that God has brought. You're here and you're not right with God, but you're ready today. You say, oh God, this is my day. I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to align my life with Jesus Christ. I'm going to go on record before God. You say, you know what, Pastor Puglisi, that's me. And I would like you to pray with me to lead me to Christ today and to forgiveness. And if that's you, I want you to lift your hand up. All across this place, God's dealing with you right now. You may feel a little awkward, but nobody's looking around. You're simply going on record. You're acknowledging so that we can pray with you today and lead you to Jesus, to the beginning of a new life. This is what we need. This is what it's all about. You know what? That's me. I'm not right. I'm ready to get right. I want to ask you to do something for me. Just put your hand up so I can see it. As soon as I see it, I'll acknowledge it. You can put it right back down. Who is that? God's dealing with you right now. You may even feel a little singled out. I remember sitting in church. That call was made. And I like, I felt like I was the only one God was speaking to. That's not true. But the fact is that God was speaking to me. And I did go on record that day. And I'm so glad. You're ready to go on record before God. You know what? I'm not right, but I'm ready to get right. Would you pray with me? Would you do that for me? Just lift your hand up so I can see it all across this place. God's dealing with you. Thank you so much. Anybody's hand, you put it up so we can see it. Thank you so much. God bless you. There's others here. God's dealing with you. You may even be backslidden. And God is pointing that out in your life. You're ready to get right today. Align your life with Jesus Christ. You realize you've failed God, but you know what? You can come in right standing with Him today. If you'll be honest, and you'd say, that's me. Would you just lift your hand up so I can see it? Who would that be? God's dealing with you right now. All across this place, you'd simply slip it up. You can put it right back down. All across this assembly, Jesus Christ is pinpointing you. I'm not right. I want to get right. I'm ready to serve Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm ready to do it God's way. That's you. You lift your hand up very quickly. God's dealing with you. Who else? Along with this honest heart. Uh, there's others here. God's dealing with you. You may not be saved. You may have never been a Christian. Or maybe you were a Christian, but you gave that back up for the world. And you realize that was the biggest mistake of your life. But you're ready to come back today. Fall under the grace of God again. And God will help you. Lift your hand up. Who would that be? All across this place. Very quickly. God's dealing with you. Okay, you lifted your hand. Would you look at me? Do you mean that? God's going to help you today. I need one of the sisters to come with her. She's going to pray. God is going to move. Every other head is bowed. You know, I learned a lot about marriage just by listening as a single person to marriage sermons. If you're preparing yourself for marriage one day, you've got to be taking notes. But obviously the aim of this is couples. And I know, hey, I know, I know what it is like a man to feel awkward about hugging your wife and consoling her. And, and instead of rebuking her, you try to minister to her. But you got to get there. You got to get there. And wives, that you're so insecure, you're so uncertain, and there are reasons for it. But you got to get over that. Because when you become a contentious woman, you're going to hijack everything that your dream was about. It'll never become, unless you backtrack on that, begin to push back. So there's a lot that was said this morning. It's your turn to respond and simply talk to God. We're going to stand to our feet. 
I'm going to invite you to come to this altar today. We're just going to touch God. God's going to help us and minister and meet with us and do a work through and for us. In Jesus' name, as we sing that song together, uh, we're going to worship. We're going to touch heaven. I want you to just talk with God. There may be things you're going to have to resolve. Maybe some apologies that need to be made on your way home today. Whatever it is. But you know what? We're going to go on record as a couple. And we're going to start fixing these areas of our lives. And, and it's not going to be overnight. I get that. But you're going to start trying. You're going to start trying. You're really going to start trying. You're going to be honest about yourself. It's so easy to point out the flaws in our husband or wife. That's easy. Find those all day long. But I want you to be honest with yourself today. What is my flaw that God is pointing out that I can fix, that can help my marriage? As we sing this song, you touch heaven today. Examination. I mean, as long as we're living in this body of flesh, we're going to have to deal with this. You know, those commands are there because they're our weakness. It's the need of the spouse that you fulfill those commands, but it's your weakness that God has to command you. That's why they're there. So we have to remember that. We have to have those pasted, especially those three texts that I told you about. 1 Corinthians 7, Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3. Pasted in our minds. We have to be pondering and concerning ourselves with how to live that out. Because it's not easy. You may be on the way home and get in a blowout fight. You know, it's not the end of it. Okay, so just make it a goal. Just make it a goal. It's not going to be overnight. It's not going to be something you even resolve in an entire lifetime. But you can temper for some of you, what your home is, you'd be embarrassed for anybody to know. Tension. But, and let me tell you who's suffering is, is your children. Because they got to live in that. And they got to watch that every day. And they got to try to process what all this aggression coming from mom and dad is. And 
And, you know, I always tell people when they come and their children are starting to really act up out of the norm, especially infants that crying fits and things. And first thing I always ask them, how much tension's in your home? Because children don't know how to process it, and that's how it manifests many times. You'll see this happening in your home, and you've got to ask yourself, how much tension is in our home? Because, because it's affecting your children. And I'm not trying to just heap on you. I know that's, that could create a lot of guilt, but we have to come to grips with that. We do. God will help us. God will help you. You know, I canceled Monday and Tuesday because I want you as couples to go and do something together. Do something together. Those are important times. We're busy people. We're constantly on the go. We have to take time out for one another. God will help us. God will help us. Why don't we stand God is so good. We want to really encourage you about tonight's service, fighting the good fight. A lot of people, you're in the fight, but you're in the right fight. Amen. And so you come tonight, you go and encourage one another, love one another today. Amen. And let's come back tonight. Let's be anxious for what God is going to do. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Gabriel Reese is lifting his voice and dismissing us in prayer.